Welcome to Find Your Niche, a career podcast offering advice that you can implement today, as well as career tips that will set you on a career path and help you to find your niche. I'm Lori Cole, certified career coach and job search advisor with iHire. iHire connects you to industry-specific jobs in over 57 talent communities. Find your niche today on iHire. On the show today, I'll talk about the difference between your LinkedIn profile and your resume and how to get the most out of LinkedIn when searching for a job. I'll speak with Joanne Beecher, a physician's assistant, about her day-to-day in a busy ER, and a two-minute tell-all about the CEO who couldn't keep his pants on. And it's not what you're thinking. Here are the latest trends, topics, and tips that will help you in your job search. It's a fact that employers check you out on social media, and LinkedIn is one of the places they visit. If your profile isn't up to date, you may be missing out on an opportunity to impress a prospective employer. You may ask, what's the difference between LinkedIn and my resume? Can't I just copy and paste my resume into LinkedIn and call it a day? Well, I've seen people do that, but LinkedIn gives you a chance to show more personality, which allows employers and the people in your network to get to know you better. Your resume will be more concise and written in a more formal manner. LinkedIn is great because it encourages you to post a good headshot, which is something that doesn't belong on your resume. Now, the headshot doesn't have to be done by a professional photographer, but it should be up to date, not something from 20 years ago, and not a selfie. Keep the photos of you with friends, family, and pets for your Facebook and Instagram account. Some of these new phones can take really stunning pictures in portrait mode, so grab a friend and have a photo shoot. The LinkedIn summary section is an excellent opportunity to showcase your personality. They give you so many options to post in several different sections, so you can include like articles you've written, posts you've done, documents, photos, websites, and videos even. It's like allowing an employer to see a collection of all of your best work all on one page. So think of it as your professional portfolio. It's also good to share more information about your career on LinkedIn, but it should closely match your resume. For instance, if you have a work history spanning 40 years, it's a good rule of thumb to cover just the last 15 or 20 years on your resume and your LinkedIn profile. Use your LinkedIn profile to let people see your personality shine through. But at the end of the day, remember, it's still a job search tool. So make sure everything you include on your LinkedIn profile will help you get a job. Let's hear from today's featured guests who has found their niche. Today, my guest is Joanne Beecher, a physician's assistant with professional emergency physicians in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Joanne's story is about never giving up and persevering through challenging times. Hey, Joanne, thank you for joining today. Really appreciate having you here. Thank you, Lori. It's good to be here. So you didn't start out as a physician's assistant. Tell me how you kind of, how you started it and how you kind of found your niche as a physician's assistant. Well, interestingly enough, I started out as a nurse, which is an anomaly Most nurses become nurse practitioners, but I started out in the hospital setting as an RN in 1984, 
And I kept getting distracted seeing helicopters landing outside the windows when I was working. And it was kind of intriguing to me that I wanted to be on the outside practicing medicine on the in, then on the inside. So I initially researched flight medicine and found out that I needed a, a lot of different areas of experience. And I needed to be actually an EMT or a paramedic to get my foot in the door. So I started my initial journey working in pediatrics. I worked in the operating room a little bit. I worked in ICU and eventually I landed in the emergency room. And I really was passionate about the emergency room. Eventually I found uh, a program that did fixed wing. As a nurse, I did transports to Mayo Clinic and I did that a couple times, but wasn't as safe as I thought it should be. So it gave me a resume builder and then I applied for flight nursing. So as a flight nurse, you function as a third-year resident, as a doctor, basically, because there's no doctor on the helicopter, and you do advanced procedures such as intubations and chest tubes, and you make a lot of medical decisions. And it was intriguing to me, and I thought, you know, this is an amazing profession, but uh, reality is you can't do that for your entire life. Well, some people can, but I had a back issue that I thought was eventually going to create a problem. So my medical director saw my passion for the emergency room and my passion for medicine. And he said, you know, you can become a nurse practitioner, but the avenues that they train you are still not fine tuned um, at the time I did this. And you either had to pick family practice or you had to pick uh, geriatrics and none of those met my needs. And at the time they had no emergency medicine capability. He said, what you need to do is become a PA. And PAs were established back in the Vietnam era where we needed more physicians. And so they uptrained their paramedics to do a lot of advanced procedures. And they thought, well, you know what? There's a niche here between a paramedic and a doctor. And so that's where the profession was developed from. So once I got into PA school, uh, two and a half, well, it was exactly 21 months, I believe, when I went, it was a bachelor's program. And we did a year of book work, and then a year of very intense clinicals, 40 to 50 hours a week. And you had different areas that you hit, OB, psych, emergency room, et cetera. And you had one that you could choose that wasn't an assignment. So I did basically three rounds of emergency medicine. I did trauma surgery, and then a regional emergency room, and then I did a inner city emergency room clinical. So that's how I kind of groomed my pathway for emergency medicine. It, so ER has always kind of been where you are drawn to. That's kind of your passion. And it's there's a real bonus in being a physician assistant because you go to medical school and you're locked into, say, I want to be an emergency medicine physician. So you go to school and then you do your three or four year residency. And then you're deemed a board certified emergency medicine physician. As a PA, you graduate and you have no labels. You can go any in any area you want. And let's say I, I actually did some family practice because I felt like I didn't understand and I didn't have the experience with knowing everybody's medicines and I needed to see 100 ears a day to understand what an ear infection looked like. And I needed to see thousands of rashes so I would understand which were viral and which were infectious rashes. So in the beautiful thing of being a physician assistant is you can work in family practice for a year or two and say, you know what, I really want to try emergency medicine. Mm -hmm. So you can apply for that. 
Or you might say, you know, I have done this for five years. I have a passion for orthopedics. I want to become an orthopedic PA. So there's some parallel careers that you can kind of vacillate between, which is very unique and very special about being a PA. When did you decide that you wanted to go into medicine? You know, um, I come from a big family of medicine. So, you know, you have all that exposure. I actually had a full ride scholarship in music, believe it or not, when I graduated from high school to to play the trumpet in, in college. And I got to actually went to college in Indiana and went about three weeks and said, this is not for me. You know, I didn't like the thought of not having the security of a profession. And so my sister was a nurse and I thought, well, I might as well be a nurse. So if I had known what paramedics, <laughs> as well. if I had known what paramedics did, then I'd have probably gone, become a paramedic and would have never advanced my life career because I knew I wanted to help people. And I knew I wanted to be outside. Yeah. And I eventually got there through nursing and that opened the door for my PA degree. And it just kind of kept me in medicine. So you had a full ride scholarship to play the trumpet. What career path would that have put you on? None. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. That's why I got into it. And uh, I said, you know, there's a lot of unknowns here. In your opinion, what is the most essential personality trait or the strength that somebody going into this profession needs to have? You got to be motivated. You got to be willing to uh, take criticism, both positive and negative. Um, You know, you're functioning like a physician, but you're not at a physician's level, but they know you can function at their level. But, you know, there's always a hierarchy. And so it's, it's difficult at times because you know you're doing the same job and not getting the same pay but yet you have to always remind yourself that you made this career choice and that if you think you can go beyond this, just go for it. I mean, that was one thing. If I would have had a little more confidence when I made the decision to go from nurse to PA to become a nurse physician, which I have a lot of friends that have done that over the years, um, I would recommend it. But this is a, a very versatile career that allows you to have a family. It allows you to change if you get bored or if you want to seek some other avenues. The flexibility in becoming a PA is much greater than going to medical school and locking into one area. What was more challenging than you expected when you started down this track? Um, Especially in our group, we are equal. We have 65 physicians and 40, soon to be 45 PAs. And we work in extreme environments where we have so many people and so much patient load that in the inner city ERs that we cover, we cover 10 emergency rooms. Um, The PAs and the physicians are seeing equally sick people. And sometimes based on the staffing, you may get an accident with three or four people at once and the doctor will take the sickest two and you may get the next sickest two. So I think it's surprising how sick of patients a PA can manage. Go back and talk about your flight nurse experience. Did you have, you know, I don't know that any of these stories are really happy, are they? But yeah, you know, there's good and there's bad. I actually went out to dinner with my old boss the other night and we still joke about a few of the crazy stories. You never have seen 
you think you've seen it all until the next day. I mean, yeah. you see people do silly things and you know, the old statement, hold my beer and watch this. That's definitely a true statement. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> tell us about a couple of I those mean, crazy stories. You know, people jumping off of buildings, trying to jump between buildings, uh, people trying to do acrobatics on mopeds, going down highways, um, people jumping off bridges, trying to do flips and somersaults into shallow areas. I mean, it's just, the sky's the limit. You mix alcohol and a lot of fun and people do crazy things. Do you have a professional mentor or somebody that you have worked with in the past that you're just like, I don't know if I could have done this without their advice and their leadership? Absolutely. My medical director at uh, the flight program, amazing guy. And, you know, he's been involved in a lot of people's lives. He was in part of the residency program that we co-sponsored with our helicopter program. And he's the one that said, you know what, you know, you can do this. And I said, I'm a single parent. I'm working full time. There's no way I can do it. And he's like, you can do this. And I am his success story that he tells everybody to this date. He's, I think he's 73 years old, still works two or three jobs, has 10 degrees, retired general from the army. I mean, he's a guy that never stops. And just recently I called him and talked to him and he's like, you know what? You're my success story. Aww. He said, if anybody thinks they can't do something, they need to call you up. So great mentor, um, very supportive. You could call him night and day with a question. And recently I've called him with a couple questions. And next thing you know, I have two or three articles in my mailbox. So do you serve as anyone else's mentor? You know, when you take the oath to become a medical professional, you're everybody's, <laughs> everybody's yeah. consult. You know, uh, probably a week doesn't go by that somebody doesn't call me or text me with a medical question. And you know, I've been doing this for long enough. I know my limitations and I know when it's outside of my realm. And I think that's important to know your limits. You know, we're not, we're not physicians. Uh, we're trained pretty close as physicians, but you always have to know your limitations because you'll get yourself in trouble if you get cocky. I, especially during the time of COVID, I coached a lot of PAs that would call me and say, I can't find a job anywhere. I've graduated from school. I am not getting callbacks. I'm not getting anybody that wants to interview me. Why was that during COVID? Because everybody stopped leaving their house. So we went from seeing 180 to 200 patients a day to 40. We were planning and we had expectations of being overrun and it was crickets. It was the most, it was the weirdest chapter of medicine any of us have ever experienced. Here we have a mass casualty pandemic and nobody's leaving their house. People were dying at home. People were having strokes and not coming in. People were having heart attacks and not coming in. And it was weird. We're like, where's all the pneumonias? Where's all the heart attacks? Everybody stayed home. And so even in my particular group, we had uh, probably 38 to 40 PAs at the time. We had a meeting and said, 21 of you are going to be laid off in the next 60 days. So if this census keeps up and we don't know what's happened and we don't know how long it's going to last, we can't afford to pay 45 salaries for the next six months if the income flow is only 40 patients a day. 
Right. So people got laid off in medicine, believe it or not. And our group never laid anybody off, but they had that, that meeting that scared them. And so a few people left our group, but um, it took us until I just started rehiring a year ago. So there was truly two years where we weren't hiring and we were like cutting way back because the numbers dropped so dramatically. And then once people felt comfortable that they weren't going to catch COVID if they came to the hospital because we were the cesspool of COVID and people didn't want to come in for anything minor because they thought they would catch it. Right. So perfect sense. You couldn't have, there's no jobs to be had for the last two years. I, I coached a lady in California and she said, and this was just March, April, it was probably in April, but she said their physicians group shut down and their physicians were all on unemployment. Yes. And that just blew my mind. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it was a strange deal. Yeah. If I, I'm trying to figure out how to, how to phrase this, but like if I made a mistake at my job, it doesn't affect anybody's life. But if you make a mistake or somebody in your profession makes a mistake, it is a matter of life and death. Yeah. Um, interestingly enough, uh, last week I took care of a child and I, I've been doing this for 24 years as a PA. I've been a flight nurse for 30 years with overlapping careers. And there's not a point in my life that doesn't go by that at some time you'll be sitting in the chair watching TV or getting ready to go to sleep. And you'll think about a case that you took care of that day. And you think, gosh, I hope that person's okay. And you get up and write down a name or you'll make a reminder to look up that patient the next day and call them and make sure they're okay. Um, it never leaves you that you don't want to make a mistake. And this past few years of COVID has been so complicated. I mean, we have seen so much and it's been so hard on everybody that, you know, you just take it home with you. Yeah. If you could go back and give your 18-year-old self one piece of career advice, what would it be? Never underestimate yourself and you can do anything you want. If you, if you want it bad enough, you can do it. You know, when I think back about the most rewarding thing of this PA profession is the camaraderie with your fellow physicians. It's pretty cool when you've been doing this job and they know you're the PA and they're the physician, yet they still come to you and ask for your opinion or ask you to come see one of their patients. So I'm old enough to be a lot of the guys' mothers that I work with. So it does happen a lot. So I don't know whether that's a compliment or not, but it is a very rewarding moment to say, wow, they want my opinion. Yeah, that's very cool. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. We really appreciate it. Yeah, it's been, it's been fun. It's been kind of interesting to reflect. It's been a while since I've thought about a few things. Joanne mentioned having a big family, and I asked her how many people in her family are in the medical field. She counted about 20 people, including siblings, nieces and nephews, in-law, and even her son works as an RN. I thought it was interesting that her medical director saw her potential, even when she doubted it. Seek out those people in your life who are your biggest cheerleaders and who see your potential and listen to their guidance, and that will help you get rid of your self-doubt. We appreciate our featured guest for joining the Find Your Niche podcast. Now, 
more career advice and stories from your host, Lori Cole. Here's a question you hope you never have to ask your CEO. Um, Where are your pants? That's exactly the question this listener had to ask her CEO. They worked in a modern, beautiful, high-rise building in the middle of downtown. It's one of those buildings where it's entirely glass from floor to ceiling, including the inside offices. That doesn't allow for much privacy. It was mid to late afternoon, so nearing the end of the workday, but the office was still full of people. This listener was having a little chat with a coworker outside the office door of the CEO when they noticed that everyone in the office kind of stopped and started looking their way. At that point, the CEO burst out of his door, ran between them, apologized for interrupting their conversation, and made a mad dash to the bathroom on the other side of the building. And from what the entire office could see, he was wearing only a pink dress shirt and white mid-calf sports socks. Well, of course, everyone in the office looked at each other, jaws dropped, and now everyone is watching the bathroom door, just waiting for him to come back out, but not wanting to be obvious about it kind of pretending to carry on like this was a normal thing. A few minutes later, same drill. Still no pants, and the CEO runs out of the restroom and back to his office. He proceeded to change his clothes. Turns out he was playing tennis after work that day and didn't realize he was putting on a show for everyone. So many questions here. Why didn't he change his clothes in the restroom? What made him think it was a good idea to run through the office like that? And dude, where are your pants? But as he bent over to pull up his tennis shorts, one question was answered. He was team tidy whitey. Is there something you need some guidance on in terms of your career? Email to laurie.cole at ihire.com. Thanks for listening.